0: Thanks for coming today. Uh, my name is Michael, as John mentioned. If this is your first time or if you're newer to Genesis, uh, we have been uh, faithfully just walking through the story of Acts. And uh, if you're new to this church, at least, that's kind of what we do. We just walk through books of the Bible, and sometimes we take a really long time to do it. Uh, we are getting ready to wrap up uh, our study and our journey through the story of Acts. Uh, specifically, uh, the past few months, we've been looking at uh, Paul's three different missionary journeys. Um, And uh, in that time span, there was about 10 years, uh, over these three missionary journeys covered about 10 years, roughly about 8,000 miles on land through sea, Um, and there was roughly about 45 uh, different cities that Paul had visited in these 10 years. Uh, Countless numbers of churches got planted, and even more so, countless thousands of people heard about Jesus, and uh, lots of folks put their faith in him. So. As I'm thinking about the Apostle Paul and kind of considering his missionary journeys and what we've been looking at, uh, his life over the past 10 years, I think we could say many things about Paul. Uh, I think we could say he was pretty courageous. Uh, I think we could say he was passionate, he was steadfast, he was loving. But honestly, what sticks out, I think, more than anything for me uh, about the Apostle Paul and what we've learned over this past few months, uh, I wrote it down in my journal like this Paul was the guy. That did everything that God wanted him to do. He was that guy. He was the guy that just did everything that God wanted him to do. He wasn't the guy that did kind of half of the things that God wanted him to do or did part of the things that God wanted him to do. Paul, he was that guy. He was the guy that did everything that God wanted him to do, regardless of the cost to himself. And as we've already seen, the cost to Paul was huge. Uh, physically, it was huge. I mean, he was just beat up and battered and imprisoned. Uh, he was stoned and whipped. Uh, the emotional, the relational I mean, this came, uh, being that guy came at a huge, tremendous cost, but he was that guy. Again, I could say a lot about Paul, but he was that guy who just did everything God wanted him to do. Now, as I've been thinking about this, uh, I think there would be some who would easily say, well, I would be that guy. Uh, I would be that woman, uh, as it were, if I actually knew what God wanted me to do. My issue is not an unwillingness to be that person. My issue is I just have no idea really what God wants for me or what God wants me to do. Uh, And that might be a fair statement, but uh, here's a general observation. Uh, This might not be true of you, uh, but uh, this is from my personal experience. I've met more people along the way who are Uh, Who are desirous to know what the will of God is in their life than people who are actually willing to do the will of God in their life. I've met more people who love to talk about what is God's will for me, I want to know that, I want to understand that, uh, than people who are actually saying, you know what, knowing doesn't really matter as much to me as I'm just going to do it. Whatever it is, I will just do it. Uh, I don't need great explanation, I don't even need great details. Uh, I'm more committed just to doing what God wants me to do rather than sitting around and talking about and thinking about and praying about what it is God might want me to do. Um, I think a lot of people wrestle with, I just don't know, so therefore I don't, I don't do. I'm just kind of going through life. Uh, when I think really the bigger question that we have to think about is, are you really wrestling with not knowing what God wants you to do or is really the wrestling match taking place of I'm just not sure I really want to do what God wants me to do. Uh, And I know I can testify to you uh, very honestly, that was a majority of my life. And I'm not going to lie to you and say that that's still not hints of it there. Uh, But the wrestling match of, it's not so much do I know what God wants me to do, am I willing to do whatever it is that God wants me to do? Uh, So maybe consider this question. What if you knew everything? What if you knew everything that God actually wanted you to do? What if you knew the purpose? What if you knew the plan? My question would be, what would you actually do with that? What would you do with that information? Because again, we often say, if I just knew it, I'd do it. But if you really knew everything that God wanted you to do, would you actually still say, I'm willing to do it? And I think a lot of us would say, well, it kind of depends on what it is. kind of depends on maybe how hard it is, how it's going to stretch me or what cost there is going to be to me. But as I look at Paul, he was that guy. He just did everything that God wanted him to do. Now, I know for me, uh, I have a choice to make. I'm either going to be that guy uh, or I'm going to be the guy that just kind of does his own thing or does part of what I think God wants me to do. But two lessons or truths that I've learned about my plan versus God's plan. Just two quick, quick, simple things. First one I've learned is God's plan is always harder. Every day of the week, God's plan is always harder. uh, Because my plan is generally centered around my comfortableness, my convenience, uh, being familiar with things. Like, that's my plan. I don't want to push myself too hard. I don't want there to be too much of a cost or a sacrifice. So God's plan is always harder because it involves sacrificial service. It involves loving people in a very sacrificial way. But the second thing I've learned is it might be harder, but God's plan, it's always better. God's plan is always better. God's purpose is always better. As I consider back over the years, uh, and all those times I thought I had really good plans, thought I had some really good ideas, and I look back now and I'm like, Michael, those are so lame. All that stuff that you just dreamed about doing, it is so lame and so small in comparison to everything that God actually has for you and wants to do with you. I wanted to give you an example of this, uh, of God's plan is always harder uh, and God's plan is always better. Uh, The Apostle Paul, uh, we're going to spend some time today as he's beginning his journey to Rome. He's going to swing by Jerusalem, but he's got a journey to Rome where he's going to be put on trial for his life. Uh, but he's sitting in prison. Okay. And this is what Paul writes from prison awaiting trial in Rome. And he says in Philippians one, and I want you to know my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Everything that's happened to me has actually been used by God to help spread the good news. Now, I'm pretty confident that Paul didn't really want to be in prison. He'd already picked up a ton of physical, emotional, relational scars along the way, but yet he's sitting in prison and he's considering what has actually happened to me, what is actually physically, emotionally, spiritually, the path that I have been walking on, the path that God has called me to, yeah, it's absolutely harder but it's been so much better. What's happened to me has helped to spread the good news because the beauty of God's plan versus our best laid plans um, is my plans are too small versus God's plan. He wants to use your life to introduce other people who don't know him to him. Again, my plan is about me, but God's plan is about using me, using you, using us, to accomplish something bigger, something greater, something actually eternal. So we're going to walk through what I'm just calling Paul's fourth missionary journey. It's not technically called that, but he's beginning his journey where he's actually going to Rome, and the question that I want to answer for us today, ask and answer, is simply this. How can we help one another know God's plan, and how can we encourage one another to live our lives in view of God's plan? How can we actually help one another know, understand what God has, but then how can we also help, live, help one another live our lives in view of God's plan? Uh, last week, if you are here, uh, we said uh, Paul was saying goodbye to the church in Ephesus. Uh, he was saying goodbye to the elders and the leaders, and he was telling them, I'm now headed to Jerusalem. And I wanted to do the reason Paul's going to Jerusalem right now uh, there was two logistical, strategical reasons, and then there was one overarching reason. And the logistical reason, Paul had been collecting a bunch of money. Uh, the church in Jerusalem was suffering; there was great famine, uh, and so Paul was traveling around the world collecting money and resources to bring back to the church uh, in Jerusalem. It says this in Acts twenty-four: After several years away, I returned to Jerusalem with money to aid my people. So he wanted to get back to Jerusalem to give them uh, the the offerings and the gifts that other folks had given. The second reason is he wanted to help the church actually have unity. Because you've got a bunch of people who grew up Jew, uh, and then you have a lot of people who grew up Gentile, uh, and now they're trying to be together in the same community, but there's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of uh, disunity, as it were, in the community. And so Paul wanted to go back to help foster, create, cultivate unity in this growing church. Those are logical, logistical, strategic uh, reasons why he went. But at the end of the day, why Paul went to Jerusalem is because God said, go. God clearly said to Paul, go to Jerusalem. It says this in Acts chapter 20. We looked at this verse last week. It says, and now I am bound by the spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie Ahead. Wow, like if you knew that, if you knew that God was telling you this is where I want you to go, and by the way, what's gonna happen when you get there? Suffering, prison. How many of you would still say, I'm all in? Or how many of you would say, you know what? I kind of like it here in Ephesus. It's about a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. And it's kind of nice here. The people know me. They love me. They care about me. It's, it's a little bit easier if I would just stay put where I am. But God was convinced, or Paul was convinced that God said, go to Jerusalem. And that's the path that Paul was committed to walking. Um, as I've been kind of thinking through this and praying through this, um, do you think this plan made any sense to Paul? Do you think this plan Paul was like, yeah, God, this totally makes sense. Of course, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffering and prison. That seems like a great plan because I've been traveling around thousands and thousands of miles and I've been telling everybody about Jesus and churches have been getting planted and people are coming to faith. Yeah, God, that makes absolute perfect sense. Put me in prison. No more traveling, no more moving around and preaching the gospel, no more moving around and telling other people about who God is and who Jesus is yeah, that's a great plan, God. Why don't you go ahead and put me in prison? Why send him there? I'm guessing Paul was wrestling with this question. And I wonder how many of you might be wrestling with that question today? How many of you might be wrestling with that, that question in this season of life? How many of you thought this? I wrote it in my journal like this. Lord, what you're asking of me just does not make much sense. It doesn't seem like a good plan in light of all the good that is currently happening around me where I am. So God, what you're asking me to do, it just, it doesn't make any sense. I remember that um, uh, this was uh, years ago, but when I started in uh, ministry when I was 24, I was doing youth ministry and I loved it. I absolutely loved doing youth ministry Uh, and things, there was just literally a handful of kids uh, and within a few years there's hundreds of kids who are now part of this youth ministry and so many families and if you asked me back in the day, I would have been doing youth ministry until I was like 85 years old. There were so many kids who were coming to know the Lord and these kids were going back into their schools and starting Bible studies and different things and it was amazing but then God said, "Michael, it's time for you to move on, and I want you to go to prison. I mean, seminary." <laughs> and I remember when God told me that, and I was like, "That's ridiculous. That is absolutely a ridiculous plan." Uh, I won't give you the whole background, but I was a terrible student. I barely graduated high school. I barely graduated with uh, graduated from college suffered from all sorts of just learning disabilities along the way and used that as an excuse just to be lazy but I was like school is not my thing it is absolutely not my thing so why would you send me to university why would you send me to seminary for 3 or 4 years cuz god don't you... it's going great there's kids and families and things happen in the school and I really wrestled with this does not make any sense If um, you're looking for a great uh, devotional, like a daily devotional, Oswald Chambers uh, has a great one, uh, just called My Utmost First Highest, and he said this, God plants his saints in the most useless places. We say, I should be here because I'm so useful. Jesus never estimated his life by the standard of greatest use. God puts his people where they will glorify him and we are not capable of judging where that is. I just remember that God puts his people where they will glorify him, and we are not capable of judging where that is. You see, we know the story, the end of Acts. We know what happened to Paul, but Paul didn't know what was going to happen to him. His perspective was limited. And so there comes a a moment in time where Paul has to say, am I going to trust God uh, that his plan is actually best? Or am I still going to pursue what I think is best, even though my perspective is so limited? Again, the question I want to really wrestle with today uh, is how can we help one another understand and encourage one another to live lives in view of what God's plans, God's purposes are? because I'm pretty thankful that God put Paul in prison, because if he didn't, we'd be missing a lot of letters of the New Testament. I'm pretty thankful that God put Paul uh, where he was so he could focus on a greater, bigger ministry uh, to thousands of people that would impact generations and generations uh, to come. Um, The question that, again, how can we help one another? One of the things that I have learned along the way is simply this. Uh, God uses other people in my life to help me accomplish God's plan, meaning I can't do this on my own. I need other men, other women speaking into my life, encouraging me, helping me understand what I can't see. I don't know about you, but I often have blinders on. I get just focused on what I can see, but I have other men and women around me who are saying, well, Michael, this is, I can see this and I can hear this. So this is a really important question of how can we help one another? My aim is not for you to go away and be like, I need to figure out what God wants me to do, and you just go do it by yourself. My aim is how can we, how can all of us help one another accomplish everything that God wants us to be doing with the life that he's given? Uh, So if you have a Bible, go to Acts 21. Uh, Paul has left Ephesus. He's making about a thousand mile journey uh, towards uh, Jerusalem, and I'll start uh, in verse 1. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Kos. And the next day we reached Rhodes and then went to Patera. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus and we passed it on our left. It seems like maybe why this level of detail, uh, what Luke, the author of Acts, is trying to paint here is... You could do a straight shot from where they were in Ephesus, which is now Turkey, straight 600-mile shot down to Jerusalem, coast to coast. But if you travel inland, uh, you're going to hit a lot of towns and a lot of cities along the way. And that's what they were doing, uh, is they were traveling from town to town on their way to Jerusalem. Story goes on, uh, verse 3, "...we sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, and landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo." Verse 4, we went ashore and found local believers and stayed with them a week. I want you to catch what happened here. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. Okay, catch this. The Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to share with you two things that uh, we need to love if we're going to help each other understand what God's plan, purpose is, and help one another live, I'm going to share with you from these few verses here in Acts 21, two loves. And the first one I'd share with you is this. Love the vertical more than the horizontal in people's lives. Love the vertical more than the horizontal in people's lives. These people that Paul met along the way said, Holy Spirit's telling you not to go to Jerusalem. Well, as the story goes on, we find that he goes to Jerusalem. So is Paul just being arrogant? Is he just being like, you folks have no idea what you're talking about. Clearly, you have misunderstood what the Spirit is telling you because the Spirit's telling me. So were they right and he's wrong or vice versa? What is happening here in this uh, short few verses? My contention is simply this. These men and women, these believers that he met along the way, were a lot more concerned about Paul's horizontal than they were his vertical. The Holy Spirit had said, Paul in Jerusalem is going to go through suffering, is going to be imprisoned. And so their mindset was, well, that clearly could not be what God would want for Paul. Their focus was, Paul, you can't go on to Jerusalem The Spirit has made clear to you, we know, and has made clear to us, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be pain, there's going to be prison for you. Their heart was, "We, we love you, we care about your horizontal, we don't want you walking in the lion's den where you're going to get torn apart. At first glance, it seems like this is the right thing for these people to do, because after all, how could it possibly be God's plan to have Paul in prison suffering? How could that possibly be God's plan? And one of the things that I've learned, often the hard way, and very slow to learn this, is, Michael, don't be quick to assume what God's will is in someone else's life. Don't be quick, Michael, to assume that you know what God's will is in someone else's life. Because I imagine the people that he just met are thinking, if Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer and his ministry will stop. Clearly, that's not what God would want. Why would God want that? Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. Your ministry will stop, you'll suffer. That's not what God would want. They would be thinking if Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's gonna be in pain and discomfort. Clearly, God would not want that for Paul. Why? Well, because God wants him to be happy. He wants him to be comfortable. And there's pain, suffering, prison, though that couldn't be from God. Their focus was on the horizontal not the vertical. Do you remember the story in Scripture um, uh, where Peter rebuked Jesus? Uh, where Jesus told Peter and the disciples, uh, guys, this is, um, my heart is set. We're going to Jerusalem. And when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer. Uh, I will be mocked. I will be betrayed. I will be whipped. I will be flogged. Ultimately, I will be put to death. And Jesus then looks at his disciples and says that. And he says, but death, I will rise back to life on the third day. And Peter, are you serious? That's not God's plan for you, Jesus. Why? How could it possibly be God's plan that there would be pain and suffering and death in in the cards for you? And so Peter says this to Jesus in Matthew 16, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him uh, for saying such things. Can you imagine reprimanding Jesus, the son of God. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Peter could see the horizontal, but not the vertical. These men and women that Paul came across I believe they could see things from man's point of view but they were failing to see from God's point of view. Now, I can imagine that it was pretty discouraging for Paul hearing these men and women tell him don't go. Don't go. But this is what I love about the story is just when Paul needed to hear somebody be used by God to encourage him on the road on the path that he was walking, God raises up uh, a great man named Agabus, and I want to read this in uh, Matthew, Acts chapter 21, verse 7. Uh, we'll start there. If uh, you're pregnant, you're thinking about getting pregnant one day, and you're like, we're going to have a dude, uh, Agabus. Okay, just add that to the mix of names. Agabus is the man. This is what it says of Agabus. The next stop after leaving Tyre uh, was Tolmas where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. And the next day, we went to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip, the evangelist, who we met way back in the beginning of Acts, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Verse 10, several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. And he came over, he took Paul's belt, And he bound his own feet and his hands with it. And then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. Agabus. It's a great name, right? Agabus gets raised up at just the right time to encourage Paul. And you're like, how could that possibly be encouraging? Paul knew where God was calling him to go. And just when there was people telling him, Paul, horizontal, horizontal, you don't want to go where there's going to be pain and suffering and hardship in prison, God raises up Agabus at just the right time to say, Paul, keep going in the direction you're actually going. Now, if you would, think about this for a minute. How strange do you think it was for Agabus? God, you want me to do What? You want me to take this guy's belt and you want me to tie it around my wrist, tie it around my ankles, and then look at him and say, look at me. What's happening here is going to happen to you. Do you think Agabus ever had a moment where he's like, that's ridiculous. Can I just simply go tell him you're on the right path? Why make me put a belt on and demonstrate to him what's going to happen? I'm guessing, I don't know Agabus, but I'm guessing he has this moment of this is ridiculous. But what I love about Agabus is he is a guy who does everything that God wants him to do to encourage Paul to keep going on the path that he's going. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful for uh, the many Agabuses that I've had in my life. Uh, both men and women that have been used by God at just the right time to encourage me to keep going the path that I have sensed God's calling me to walk. Two weeks ago, we celebrated Easter here. And uh, I love Easter. I'd say Christmas, Easter, favorite, just times of the year. Uh, but this Easter was different for me because I was, uh, I was nervous. Uh, we had that uh, get drenched, uh, and I had no idea what was going to happen absolutely no idea if anyone was going to take a step to say, you know what? I don't want to be a a fan of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And so I had been fretting, as it were, leading up to Easter, excited, but yet anxious, excited, but yet worried. But yet I felt God was calling us to do this on Easter. So on Friday, Good Friday, uh, I got an email. It was around one in the morning that I read this. uh, And this is God's gift of an agabus this past two weeks ago. Uh, And this person sent me this letter and said this. Upon leaving Genesis Friday night, a few minutes after leaving the parking lot, I received an image of you preaching Sunday morning. You were dressed in your usual urban hip attire. i very (laughs) thankful for that. And you were well into your sermon. It was business as usual, except that you were flanked on either side by angels with broad swords. They were not messengers, but guardians, in line with the idea of bodyguards. And they stood at attention, and their hands were folded over the handle of their sword, both of which were unsheathed and balanced on the tips before their bearers. I understood this to mean that you are either under spiritual attack or else the subject of a concerted effort by the enemy to bring ruin or distraction to a plan that will build up the kingdom. I am praying for you. I share this with you to encourage you. The Lord, the Lord has your back and he marshals his forces to protect his shepherding son. So at one in the morning, do you think I thought to myself, cuckoo, got another whack job in our midst, some dude in a parking lot saw some crazy image. Or do you think I sat there in tears, that at just the right time, when I needed to be encouraged but also challenged to keep going down the path, God raised up in Agabus to remind me, Mike, I'm with you. I am with you. Do you think I walked up onto stage on Easter morning with a little bit more confidence? Now, I didn't see anything. But I tell you what, I was so blessed and I was so encouraged that someone probably wrestled with this, God, this is crazy, this guy's going to think I'm nuts, was willing to say, forget it, God, if this is what you want me to pass along as a way to encourage him, then I absolutely will. This is what God did for Paul. This is what God has done for me numerous times. And my question for you, as you consider those in your life Is there anybody that God is inviting, calling you to be an Agabus for? Because if you would be raised up by God to be used in someone else's life to help them understand the things that God has for them, really the greater question is, do you love people more horizontally or do you love people more vertically? Agabus loved the apostle Paul vertically because he wanted to see God accomplish with Paul and through Paul all that God had in mind. See, I see a room, I just feel like there's a a lot of men and women here that God would say, I want to use you to help someone else accomplish everything that I'm trying to do in their life. Would you be willing to be an Agabus? Meaning, would you be willing to love somebody more vertically than horizontally? Now, I'm not saying we don't love people horizontally and care for them and serve them. But what I am saying is our heart, I will love you vertically first and foremost, Because if you say, you know what, I just want people to be happy, I just want people to be comfortable, I just want people to be convenient, I just want them to be horizontal and love them that way, you will be fighting against what God is trying to do in your life and fighting against what God is trying to do in their life. Maybe you're here today because you needed to hear that God is trying to use you in someone else's life to help them accomplish what God's trying to do just like he did with Agabus. So we are to love people vertically more than we love them horizontally. And the second thing that I would leave you with is this. Love the vertical in your life more than the horizontal. It's one thing for me to tell you, love people vertically. Love helping to accomplish and see God accomplish his plan in their life. But for you, for me, we have to wrestle with the question, do I actually love more of the horizontal or do I love the vertical? Do I love more of what my plan is and what I would like to do, or do I just love the vertical? Am I more committed? Am I more concerned about what God is trying to do in my life, with my life, and through my life? In Acts chapter 21, uh, verse 12, Agabus has just finished speaking, and this is what the people say in verse 12. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. It's like, really? Luke, who's writing this? He's saying, we, we pleaded with him. And I just, I love the honesty of Scripture saying, we are just struggling. We don't want to see you suffer. We don't want to see you hurt. We don't want to see you in prison. Paul, do not do this. They pleaded with him. In this moment If you don't love the vertical more than the horizontal, then you'll say to yourself, okay, I'll stay. I'll I'll do what seems to make sense to you guys, and we'll just stay together. But Paul, in this moment, I love the vertical. I love the vertical, and he says in verse 13, but he said, and this is Paul speaking, why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, and when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and we said the Lord's will be done. Paul loved the vertical more than he loved the horizontal. Even though he had people begging him, choose the horizontal, choose the horizontal. Paul said, you're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed, but I'm even willing to give my life for the sake of Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I can't help but read that verse and really wrestle with the question, do I really love the vertical or do I love the horizontal? Do I really want to do what God wants me to do? Or am I honestly more concerned at the end of the day with what I would like to do? And if you would experience everything that God has for you and desires for you and wants for you, There has to come a point in time where you decide, I'm done with horizontal living and I just wanna go vertical. I don't wanna be like part vertical, like 90 degrees. I'm not sure if that's part, but I I just wanna be all. I wanna be all in. And if all in means I've gotta go somewhere where it's gonna be hard, I gotta do something where it will be difficult, I've gotta be somewhere where it's gonna be challenging, then for the sake of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, I'm all in. Why? Because I love the vertical in my life. I love the vertical in my life. Uh, I want to finish this morning um, by just inviting, uh, just to be quiet for a few moments. Because I do believe God's already been talking to you through his word I believe that there's already been things that you may have heard from the Lord that's already been challenging, but I am convinced that God wants to talk to you. I'm convinced that no matter where you are, what you're thinking, where you've been, God wants to talk to you. There's so many times where I meet with people, like, I really just, I want to know, I just wish God would talk to me, I really want to know what God has for me, and I'm like, man, I love you, but God is actually a lot more excited to talk to you than you're actually willing to listen And I just wanted to give you the opportunity this morning to listen, to listen to what God would have to say to you about you, about him, about maybe somebody in your life that he's trying to say, would you be an Agabus? Would you do something that might look a little freaky or crazy or weird to help me accomplish what I'm trying to do in their life?